Welcome to Random Thoughts Podcast, a show that discusses a variety of topics. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Good afternoon. Welcome to my fourth installment of Random Thoughts Podcast. Uh, I've had some really good feedback on some of the shows that I've done before. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, go back and listen to the other shows. Uh, the the general premise of this podcast isn't necessarily having to do with the fire service, which is where I, where I currently work. Um, it's just about a bunch of different things that kind of come to my mind, and uh, I just try to seek out the people that can answer the questions, the things that come into my mind. Um, but today we're going to talk uh, about leadership versus respect or and respect um and we are going to talk about the fire service a little bit today um i got a good friend of mine here uh phil bird who uh lives in my uh my um community um and works for a department in the washington metropolitan area as well as me and uh we're just going to kind of talk about leadership respect training uh things that uh make the fire service good things that may make the fire service not so good um, and just the general overview and, and everything that we talk about on here is obviously uh, rooted in, in our opinion and, and things that we see. Um, but uh, without babbling on, which I tend to do, Phil, welcome to the studio. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, I've, I've, I've known Phil for, I want to say, about six and a half years. Um, I know when you started, you were an acting uh, battalion chief. Um, and I think... I think our first call together was an overturned tanker. Wasn't that like our first call? Or like we had kind of chit-chatted on the phone, but that was our actual first working incident. Yeah, the first time I ever met you in person was while a, uh, a tanker truck was overturned on 95. Right, and and uh, it was funny because I, I I was coming with one, we were one of our mutual aid partners, um, and I remember, you know, coming up up, up the, uh, the north side of 95 and coming across the median, and, and uh, it was... It was an event, but kind of a non-event. It wasn't like, you know, this methyl ethyl bad shit tanker spill or whatever. But it was something that was pretty cool for you to get your feet wet on for the first time. And I remember walking up to the command post, and uh, you were there by yourself. And there was like a line of four people at your window waiting to just tell you shit. And uh, and and I said, hey, Battalion 1, uh, you know, Dave Polykoff, uh, you need some help. And he said, yeah, you know, we got this going on. I said, well, how about if I jump on the other side? And I did, and I looked at you, and I said, roll your window up. And you looked at me and like with the shock. I was like, "Roll your window up." I mean, it's like that's my operation. I don't care. Roll your window. <laughs> he rolled the window up. And he looks at me and I said, "Come over to this side." And I said, "No disrespect. He's got his hands full. We're gonna run this together. You tell me what you need, and we'll do that." And I think it worked out pretty good. I mean, it ended up being uh, you know an event, but a non-event. But we went through the, the motions and. Uh, uh, what a call to get your first your feet wet on. I mean, it could have been a lot. There could have been gasoline tanker. I think it ended up being like mineral oil or vegetable oil or something like that. Or yeah, it was. I, it's a little foggy as to what it was, but it could have been bad. I knew there was some type of fuel product mm-hmm. um, with an upcoming uh, uh, a rainstorm that was going to happen any minute. We right. had the road was under construction. There was all kinds of uh, sewage or uh, drainage um, drains wide open and stuff that were could have been a factor so on and so forth but that call really um was an eye-opener it was within my first week of being appointed as an acting battalion chief and uh that call one of the takeaways from that call specifically was the uh to embrace the fact that vehicles have power windows and power locks right um because you certainly and i I use it every call now to this day whether it was the fire chief on down 
having the ability to one have an aider, have somebody assist at the command post that you can have a good sounding board to lean on because you know it's hard to pull all those levers and stuff as a command officer when you don't have an extra set of ears. You may miss something while writing. You may you know miss an important thing about the fire because you're too busy staring at your 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 check sheet or your command board. Um, to have another set of eyes was very valuable, and to be able to direct those people to your side of the vehicle so I could actively listen to things going on and, and draw a better can, uh, picture as to what's going on and you know make better choices. So right. yeah, it was definitely beneficial. And, and I, if I remember correctly with that particular uh, call, I think we ended up having at least three three to four mutual aid partners coming on that particular call because of where it was. And uh, the tanker had overturned just perfectly that it blocked every single lane of, of southbound 95 where nobody could come around had to all come up the northbound to come back around uh that were coming from the south so it was it was just like that and i and i remember you had the hazmat component potential fire component the mutual aid component then you had water supply component and you had everybody that felt that they had something important that they needed to tell you at that moment which we all know it's not um and i and and i learned um from uh from the very beginning you know we had command class and all that and then they said be respectful but make sure that the windows up we call it a sterile cockpit you don't want uh you know 100 people coming in if you if you're flying a, a commercial airline you don't leave the door open so everybody can come in and just kind of bullshit with you while you're trying to fly the plane you got to right. fly the plane um and, and nobody took offense to that. I don't think you got in trouble for no, that. Actually, I, I think it was more of a like, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know what? And I, I really don't worry about feelings in that, in that you know, aspect of it. You know, it's a fire department. If, you know, <laughs> and, and if you have, you know, if you're going to wear your feelings on your shoulder and be upset about that, then obviously you haven't done what, what we were trying to accomplish. Right. So one of the things I find is that, you know, there's pros and cons to either working out of the back of your vehicle, your command vehicle, mm-hmm. or the front. I could say there's pros and cons all day, but if I can have that sterile environment where it's, you know, unscathed or I have control over when it gets interrupted or not, it's a big benefit as opposed to working out of the back of your vehicle or working um, as a dynamic incident commander walking around the fire building itself and having everybody pull you aside, citizens, law enforcement, outside agencies, American Red Cross, all those various, you know, companies or, or, or agencies mm-hmm. that really creates a huge distraction and that was a benefit of working in the front that day right and I know uh, you know I myself and, and Frank Ritchie from uh, New Haven we, we did an article a year ago talking about commanding inside and out that up and up where he's from they command incidents from outside the vehicle um, and we command incidents from inside the vehicle and uh, people it's it's like fog and smoothbore now it's the next argument that comes up it's like oh I do it this way I do it that way there's no wrong way as long long as you are engaged in what's going on on the fire ground and if you're one of those dynamic command officers that has to roam around i think you're going to miss a lot um and and they talk about you know when you read any niosh report it always the top three is, is communication command and failure to follow sops sure and uh two of those things right away communication and failure of command are right there if you're walking around you're not seeing the picture and, and if you think you need to see something then you know we can assign people to go look at that for you with uh, today's technology, we use FaceTime all the time. You know, we're issued phones, and Second Battalion Chief will call me, FaceTime, and say, "Here's what the back looks like." Great information. Excellent. I don't have to get out of the vehicle. And I know the fire service now is going the way of drones too for mm-hmm. non-walkable structures, um, for lack of a better term, and even other residential structures um, to have that type of uh, you know equipment available to you. Now, what I will do though, when I talked about not trying to be uh, 
dynamic as an instant commander. If I'm the first arriving chief officer and it's a walkable structure, walkable meaning that it's not a big box store right. or a large standalone commercial or so on and so forth, um, middle of the group townhouse or middle of the row for an apartment building, um, I will try to do a 360. What I try to find balance with is not sounding out of breath or excited when right. I do that quick lap right. and I'm trying to take in so much. Um, and does it stop there with me? No, I'd lean on other officers to paint a picture, you know, of the rear once again, too, because we're dealing with a dynamic environment and those conditions will always be changing. They're not going to be staying still. Right. So what I saw in the rear of a, you know, three stories in the rear with a walkout slider basement smoke showing from the lowest level. Um, by the time that third do engine gets there or something, it may be different that it may have extended up to the first floor or now there may be somebody at a window on the third floor so like again that dynamic picture so on and so forth getting that that continued updates and feedback really helps out as well right so and we're going to get back into we'll talk about feedback and trusting your officers later on in this conversation but first i want to start a little bit with you you know tell us a little bit about yourself when when did you get into the fire department i know you started off as a volunteer but but even before that are you first generation second generation i am a first generation firefighter okay um i grew up in lancaster pennsylvania and I call it Lancaster. My wife constantly corrects me. Yeah, well, I'm not going to correct. This is your show, so you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> but, um, but it is Lancaster. <laughs> yes, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And um, I grew up um, right next to the city limits, Lancaster city limits. And there was a fire station within a block of my house. Um, so since I, could, since I was able to go out in the neighborhood by myself, since I could walk outside and play in my backyard, anytime I heard that house iron blow, I was intrigued. Right. Um, it was all home response. So, you know, I'd be either standing in my backyard because I could have a visual of the firehouse from my backyard, people pulling up and what fire trucks are going out. Oh, there goes engine three. There, engine one's going out too. There right. goes the tanker. So and so I remember just watching. I had a buddy of mine that lived in the neighborhood as well who, you know, had that same interest. Now, his dad was a firefighter. His brother was a firefighter. But we were both, you know, four years old right. at, at the most. And then we're five, you know, somewhere around that time when the house iron go off and it were was during you know playtime hours we'd go outside and we'd sit across the street from the firehouse on the curb just watching people come and people have blue lights and so on and so forth so you'd see them right pulling up um something i never did in the fire service is had a blue light but you'd right. see them come come from home and you just watch and then it, it, that developed into all right now you know junior age so i started in 91 as a junior at this firehouse went up through you know through, through to 18 years old and when I was 18 years old um, and I'd taken a bunch of classes I'd taken as many classes as I could prior to because this is what I wanted to do anytime right. I was asked in school what do you want to do I'm like I want to be a firefighter so you knew it at elementary or middle school elementary yeah that's kind of early nice. elementary I mean and the first generation got my parents embraced it you know and mm-hmm. they said you know have fun, you know have fun learn as much as you can and, and and be the best you can at it so, you know, 18, you know, this this fire company of those, remember, I'd only ran about 500 calls a year. Sure. And, but that was the busiest in the county at the time. Right. So we were running calls, you know, over one, one and a half per day, give or take. And, um, but it still wasn't really, you know, enough. There was, yeah. there was something else out there. There's something else There's out there. There's a lot of PG, uh, Pennsylvania guys that come down to, uh, to Maryland. So we see that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there is something else out there. Yep, yep. So wh- I was fortunate that, that uh, I guess through, I don't know, some type of fire department event or whatever, somebody from our company met somebody from Bladensburg, Maryland. 
and they're like, you know, you can come down and ride if you have, you know, Firefighter 2 and, you know, CPR, so on and so forth. We have our own insurance. This is back in the 90s, right. you know. It's totally different now. It is. But, um, but yeah, come on down and ride. I went down there, and I was amazed at the pace of things. And I was like, this is, this is me. You know, we're running, you know, I ran six calls within three hours. It was we weren't standing on an auto accident for, you know, you know, two hours writing down each vehicle's VIN number. I wouldn't say it was, uh, you know, less accountability or anything like that, but it right. was just a quicker pace. You didn't have time to do that. The, the, the highway cleaned up the roads. We weren't sweeping up fuel spills and oil leakage and taillights and stuff. And it was just go, go, go. And I loved it. And I, you know, I made the choice shortly thereafter, after I graduated high school, that uh, I was going to move in down there. Right. My plan ultimately was to become a career firefighter. So what I had done, and I was fortunate to be in close proximity to the University of Maryland, was take as many classes as I could while applying to agencies in and around the metropolitan area. So my whole thing was, you know, the first fire department that that, that hires me, you know, I'm going to be totally on board. And I remember sitting in my job interview saying to the board that I, I've been waiting for this my whole life. You know, this is the furthest I've gotten in the process. I just want a chance to prove to you that you made the right decision. Let this be the organization that I work for. Right. That was the point where they're like, do you have anything else to say? Or do you have anything else to give? Because I answered all the questions. You didn't lead off with that. No, 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 definitely. But You'd be stupid if you don't hire me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I wanted to, you know, make sure they understood that. Sure. And I think I did the best I could to, to live up to that, you know, promise. So this organization hired me. And I've been fortunate to move up through the ranks, and now I have over 20 years with the department. Awesome. I know uh, I, I was a third generation, and uh, I remember from a very early age, you know, I, I was I was uh, born in, uh, in, in PG County, um, and we lived there for a while. I, I tell people, I said, uh, I was an original Kentland guy. We lived on Landover Road, believe it or not. I was like, really? Like, yeah, man. Did a whole year there, you know, as a baby. And we moved to Greenbelt, and my stepdad, um, he married my mom when I was four or five years old. Uh, he was a member there, and my grandfather was a life member there. And I remember um, vaguely, hazily remember going down there to Greenbelt Firehouse, and, and the dog, they had a dog there, Pepper, was their, their uh, Dalmatian, would drag me around the firehouse, and, and like that was my second home. <laughs> and... Uh, I became a junior member in, in PG County um, at the age of 12, and I did that until I was 16. By that time, we had moved to Montgomery County. And once I turned 16, I joined uh, my local fire department in Montgomery County because they didn't take junior members there. And uh, I did high school cadets, but I knew at like seventh grade, yeah, I know what I want to do. I know what I want to do. It's just a matter of I got to get old enough to get there to do it. So uh, same path, you know, whether whether it's you know, first generation or third generation, it's the passion. It's like, this is what I want to do. Um, and I'm going to do whatever it is that I have to do to do that. And, and, you know, being an 18 year old kid going into an interview for a job, it's like, nobody prepares you for that. You have no idea what to say. It's basically like, yeah, we'll take a gamble on this kid and we'll see what happens. And I was fortunate enough that they took a gamble and, and I got hired at the age of 18, which is like unheard of. Um, That's good stuff because, you know, you're able to sell yourself. And if it's your passion, it's easy. It makes it. It's. It's not like it's like. Oh, I got to do this interview to go through this job. It's time to make the donuts. No, you want that opportunity. And if you want to become a firefighter, you're chomping at the bit to get that far in a process. Yep. And an interview panel can see that, as opposed to somebody that's like, well, I'm 26 and I 
So I haven't really done anything. Looking for some good benefits. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hear you guys have a 25 or a 20 year retirement or this type of, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to get bad reviews from me because you can feel it. Right. So you can also feel passion on the same side. Sure. You know what I mean? I know uh, back back in the day when, when I got hired, you know, they would have said like, "We're going to hire you, but we, you know, your left hand, your left pinky, we want to take your finger off at the first knuckle, and then we're going to give you a job." You're like, "All right, do I get a Novocaine shot for that, or you know, I got nine other ones." Let's right, go. <laughs> you you would have done anything to get that job, and and, and we'll transition into that too because we're going to talk about hiring. So so you knew at an early age, um, and you know, your intent was to go to college. I think every firefighter that gets hired early, their intent was to go to college. Yep. It took 27 years for me to get my degree. I finally got it. I'm still chipping away at my bachelor's. I know. So. It was it was just like, you know, I told everybody, I was like, oh, 27 years, I finally got my degree. They're like, oh my gosh, do you have a PhD? I said, nope. Well, see, that's, that, that also shows people that you're a student of the game. Mm-hmm. You haven't throughout your career become complacent and said well I've arrived now you know you're constantly wanting more mm-hmm. I think I have some of those same characteristics where I'm still going to school mm-hmm. or I still take classes as many as I can because you know what I don't have all the answers right but I, I'd certainly like to have a better you know I'd like to have a lot of them yeah uh, and, and that's you know with Trent I didn't sit even though you know I started off at one semester at a community college and I got hired and then I was going to take in pumps and trucks and practical rescue and you know all those classes that go with it I took every class that academy and this college kind of drifted off and it, you know it wasn't until um they invented online college which by the way was the best invention ever I agree. Um, and i could get in my bathrobe and sit in my den and, and bang out a class it was you know or, or, or a, a a section of, of one of my classes i appreciate you wearing a bathrobe during this interview too that's really, uh, really nice <laughs> well i got the thong underneath so. <laughs> but um so um, so you knew at an early age, like most firefighters that, that start off in vol- as volunteers, they know that they want to do. So you get uh, you, you started off as a volunteer. You, you get hired. Uh, you uh, you go through recruit school. You have a recruit school. I, I didn't have a recruit school. When when I got hired, we were still individual corporations, and the individual corporation hired you. But um, I had already had my Fire 1 and 2 and EMT and a couple other classes. So it was more of, you know, can you sign here and right. then start on Wednesday yeah. type of thing, which is – they don't do that anymore. Um, so in your assignments, uh, did you get to go to a good station in, in, in your uh, your first assignment you had? Was, well, it, was yeah, it a busy assignment? Yes, it was. Okay. So, so how we they used to do it in, 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 my, uh, in my county is that the highest rated, you know, academic students – practical skills so on and so they, they merged the two together and if you're at the top of the class you got to pick kind of like Top Gun right right <laughs> so so um, I remember one of my uh, captains the career captain that was one of the stations that I volunteered at said look you got a good head on your shoulders and he was very well respected and he's like you got a good head on your shoulders he's like even if you think you know the material whether it's you know firefighter one hose loads um self-contained breathing apparatus if you even if you know you go home and you study you study that like it's the most important thing because it is the most important Mm -hmm. thing and i took that to heart and when other people that you know were were out having a good time you know after class and stuff i was like i gotta get home say like you have firefighter one or you it doesn't matter i really really wanted this chance Mm -hmm. so you know at a recruit school I i was number one in my platoon and I remember writing down these station numbers, like, I want this number, I want this number, this this place is busy, all busy places. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a phone call from the captain at the station, and it was like my, they got to pick five places, and it was like my fifth place. The reason why I didn't want to go to this fifth place is because it had what they call a rescue unit. Right. 
and it was quite it's busy. right on the DC border. Quite and it was busy. Very, very busy. And I was like, well, if I get stuck on this rescue unit, you know, and this station had a tiller truck, I'm like, oh, they're not going to turn me over to tiller as a probationary. You plus, know, member. plus the fires that you'll miss. I'll be missing. I'll be, you know, <laughs> on the, either way, this this captain who I, I still talk to to this day is like, hey, I know this wasn't your first pick, but you do good by me, and I'll do good by you. And when there's a spot open, I'm going to move you right up um, to becoming a tillerman. I appreciate it, and I was like. Yes, sir. No problem. You know what I mean? What am right. I going to do? Cry about it? Right. Nope. I'd, be a, I'd be a hypocrite if I complain now about where I'm working when I said mm-hmm. I just want an opportunity. Right. I had the opportunity. I just have to do X, Y, and Z to, to, to get out of a what could be viewed as a undesirable situation and right. make it the best I can. Sure. And he was a man of his word and I got, you know, I moved up quickly and was a tillerman at the station it was great yeah I, I uh, when I got hired um, I got to go to uh, you know one of the stations that it was like you know the legends you know of one engine and, and it's like you know it's like what legends are made of and a lot of good firemen that came out of there and uh, they had a they had a truck at the time they had a tiller truck actually, actually at the time they had two 68 LaFrances which is I'm gonna date myself but those fire engines were built the day I was born yeah and uh so rear mount truck, and then they got a tiller truck, and and, and uh, I got to move up really quick, and uh, you know being able to go to I, I would have worked anywhere, I didn't care, right? But uh, being able to be there, and I did seven years at at one engine, you know, with high rise, you know, I, I lived in Burtonsville or Spencerville, which is like Hayseed area of Montgomery County, and like I'm in the big city, you know, big yeah. city fire department, yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, you know, and and, and just. You know, being young and full of energy. So, did you ever have any any uh, any good stories at your first time? Any good fires? Oh, man. we ran so many right. fi- fires. Like that, it, it was great. I mean, I sound like an old timer now. Going, right. Oh, it wasn't like this. Right. And every every generation's done this back but, in the uh, day when we were hooking the horses up. And but yeah, we've right. had we've had fires. I remember I remember we had this fire one day in an apartment building. It was a top floor fire, and um, it was fire showing out of the front side of it. And um, I remember running the line up there, and it was just a crew. We had a crew of just three: my officer, the driver, and myself. And we got to the top of this unit, and the door was the door was blistering with cherry red stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, you know, I was a younger firefighter, and I didn't bring a rabbit tool. And I'm, there's only three of us, and my officer's like, "I carry my radio. You got the rest." So they load me up with everything, and I didn't bring the rabbit tool right. or the irons because I was running the line, and I was just like. We got to the door and I'm like, I don't, I don't have my, the rabbit is, don't worry about it. The lady already told me that it's unlocked. So I remember we were, we, we knocked on the doors across from the hallway to give us an area of refuge and we pounded on this door and a lady comes out and she's got a kid in her arm and the alarm bells are ringing and she's like, oh, it's really a fire? <laughs> and I'm like, yep, it's really a fire. So she grabbed her other kid by the hand and then there was a kid that could just barely walk that was left behind in the unit there and she's like, come on. She left him there. Right. So we're getting ready to make this push into this unit that's blowing. And we're like, oh, hold, hold, hold. You know, we're like saying, hold on a minute. we got to get this kid down the steps Your now. Your first rescue. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just like, I couldn't imagine doing that. Kind sure. Of thing. It was a totally different culture, totally different yep. way. I could, some things that you would say, yeah, I would never do that with one of my kids. You're seeing some crazy stuff. Right. So the long and short of it is, it was a unit off. Um, another uh, lieutenant from a station close by was right behind me who I really respected really well he's like get a look in there real quick how's it look he's like oh it's good he goes alright I'll feed you hose go handle your business and it was like one of my first fires and I remember just 
running in and charging in with this hose line mm -hmm. and running smack into a wall. <laughs> and my lieutenant pulling back on easy, easy. But I just remember saying, I just want to get a chance, right? So we, we ended up handling it immediately, get to the back bedroom, put it out. I remember jumping up on a dresser. Mm -hmm. And my lieutenant was like, get down. I'm like, no, no, no. I breached the drywall with my nozzle and then I put it right off. up in the attic. Yeah, right. I put it right up in the attic. And he's like, good thinking, you know, like I'm, you know, right. I'd rather you have to pull me back than have to push me forward. Sure. So they had a little bit of extension up there. We ended up handling it by ourselves and that was pretty cool. Right. And and you always want the chance to prove yourself and uh, there are departments you may have to go two, three years before you ever get a first due to be able to prove yourself. Um, so, you know, welcome to the Washington metropolitan area. Um, we get, uh, we get that chance to, uh, to get some work and be able to, you know, cut our teeth on, on some, in some good areas. Yeah. So another one that strikes, that, that, that brings me back and we still tell this story to this day when I see retirees and so on and so forth, this, this is probably one of my most memorable fires. Uh, we had run this apartment complex several times over the last couple months for reports of building fires, reports of shootings, stabbings, uh, gas leaks, you know, outside fires, and it ended up being all false alarms, all all malicious false alarms. And this one night, we were um, we ran this call, and the captain from the station was on duty with us. I wasn't assigned to the captain; I had a lieutenant typically. But I was driving the wagon, and my captain was with us. And the, about nine thirty at night, they put out a report of a building fire, nothing to it, and we're, we're packing up. And um, you know, I, I'm just leaving out of there. I'm like, you know, someday we're going to be just putzing down the road here and it's going to be getting it mm -hmm. and um he's like yeah and i was like it probably won't be on our shift though or something like that right because we're really good at fire prevention but uh we go back and i believe it's around 1 30 in the morning and this address comes out for that apartment complex we jump in like it's gonna be a fire and mm -hmm. you know we always did that we weren't you know nope we didn't right. hesitate we were, were, were i went past the the next closest cross street and I remember the windows the window was down on my side and I thought I'd caught a whiff of smoke right. and wood burning. Right. But I was like, ah, I couldn't. But it was right at the end of my inhale. So I was right. like, ah, I had to reset it real quick and go, <laughs> yeah, I started doing the sniff, sniff, sniff. And I'm like, I think I smell something. Right. So I make a left into this complex and I can see police cars up in the distance because where I work, the police officers do a great job of getting in front of the building before us because that's well, how medals are won. They want to show you where the hydrants are. That's how medals are won. They block in front of the building, they get in there, and then you have to jiggle around them, and it's just another variable that we love all Don't the time. Don't get us wrong. We like the police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, believe me. Believe me. Like, I'll, but I, I'll call it as I see it. Yeah, absolutely. Not, you know, that, that does tend to hinder our operations a, a lot. Bit. I tend to say that still to this day. Do you mind reaching over to the police and having them move their cruisers? Sure. You know, I know they're, you know. But um, either way, so I look up in the distance and I can see the strobes, strobes back then of the police cars. Right. And it looks to be like a haze, like in front of the building. I don't have a full view yet. And I, as I got up a little closer, you could see this terrace level just blowing up the front of this building. And I'm like, yeah, it's on. And I remember my captain having the most respect for him. This guy called me and said, hey, we're going to take care of you, so on and so forth. Just do good by me. I'll do good by you. And now I'm driving him. I'm driving him in an 82 Persh. Right. That had no suspension, <clears throat> no give at all. I bet you it was loud as shit, though. It was loud. <laughs> it was loud. We got it We got it from a federal fire department, and they called it the Junkyard Dog because this, the volunteer corporation that we worked for right. got it off the scrap heap, essentially. And mm -hmm. it's like, the pump works fine. It's fine. You know, whatever. I'm driving the Junkyard Dog. 
And I'm like, oh my god, it's blowing. Now I'm like, I gotta watch this guy in action because he's he's the man, right? right? And I remember looking over at him, and he's we, we caught the hydrant, and I'm staring back over, I'm looking up, looking back. I look over to him, and I'm watching him give this awesome radio return, and I hit a speed hump, and it was one of those that like looks like a, right? You know, it's it's just a jump, steep, steep speed hump, and I remember smacking the front of that really hard and watching him jiggle around and not break stride his radar port. Right. And now I'm apologizing. Oh, Cap, I'm sorry about that, right? <laughs> so we pull up, get good positioning, and we laid a single three-inch line. And one of those cops that was in the way came up and was like, hey, do you need anything from me? And I saw how much fire we had. I ended up breaking the hose bed and giving them a – we had split bed two and a half and three-inch. Right. I remember splitting the bed and giving them the double female and, and – Giving him the two and a half. I said, take this back to the hydrant too. I think we're going to need this for this one. Right. So we pull up and they get to the terrace level. And I was, you know, a young guy, you know, excited. The lineman pulled the line. The, the officer was down there. We got people in the balconies. And they didn't bring the rabbit tool with them. And the door was locked. And they're like, burr. Give me the rabbit tool. So I remember running down. I got the line stretched out. Running down. I get get the bite in the door. And I start opening. He said, Get back. All right, you're good. Get out of here. You're fine. You, you know, I was just pump, like, oh. You got to pump the line. <laughs> yeah. So I got it in there, so I backed up. So meanwhile, um, you know, it's extended up to the first and second floor up in the attic. And, um, you know, they come out. They're, they're knocking the, the terrace level, and they, they put a good knock on it. Meanwhile, the first floor is still burning. I remember giving some companies hose lines, and, and they weren't touching it. Right. It was just it was just a tough fire. Right. And um, I was like, man. Well, I had had all my gear on the first time ever as a wagon driver because the, the chief of operations was right behind us at the station that day. Right. And so I had all my gear on like I'm supposed to. And I see them come out, and um, and I'm like, go get the first floor. Go go get it. I'm listening <laughs> Like and the lineman was whooped because they pushed down these steps and they they got they made their way all the way front to back fire and stuff. He was whooped and I'm like, let's switch. He's like, what? I said, Cap, can we switch? And he's like, sure. So my lineman took the pump and I had slung a pack on and I remember going up the steps. Now there's all these it's log jammed on the steps. Sure. And one of the chief, one of the volunteer chiefs, that you know, well respected guy, was like, hey, if you guys don't want any parts of this. Get out of the way. And it was just amazing how the seas parted. And we end up, you know, going in there. The captain and myself and had another unit front to back was off. So I'm going in and I'm like, this, he, he picked me, you know. I'm thinking right. about this in my head. And I'm pushing back at the, you know, living room, knock, kitchen. And I'm going back to the bedrooms and he starts hitting my back. And I'm like, I know, I know. And I'm talking trash. I'm like, I got it, Cap. He's like, no, there's no floor ahead in front of you right there. Back up, hot rod. <laughs> I was like, yes, sir. We backed up. And we ended up handling that. But it was great because, like, the crews that came in, I still see some retirees that were, you know, in this county and right. stuff. They're like, oh, remember when you did that? And so it was it was great. It was it was fun. That's that's good to, to know that, you know, you had a respected captain. But not only that, he wasn't focused in on, on just that line going. And he was actually looking at the bigger picture. Saw that hole in the floor for you. Yeah. You know, you're looking at there's a fire and this is what I'm going to do. So that that's yeah. a good officer. Yeah. We'll and that, that happened with me as an officer. Like, I had tunnel vision mm-hmm. initially like yes I understood my role and the importance of making sure that my crew operated effectively but I sometimes didn't to look at the whole big picture mm-hmm. like I should or I didn't manage the stairwell as well as I should Right, keeping that clear for people 
Um, but that's one of the things I learned and that, that, that very point that kind of stuck with me is that, you know, you really got to take it all in. You know, there's a lot of factors and stuff. What ended up happening after this fire was there was a, it was a murder where a guy got grossly murdered with a stick put it in places we don't even need to talk about right. and stuff. I guess the guy was just telling on the police about drugs or something like that. He was a witness or something, but he was just taking care and they let the unit off in the terrorist level and murdered him. So they, I guess they were gauging what, you know, the response types and who all comes Do the police come first. Do they do right, like, which they do if they're in the area on the beat and stuff. But it was, uh, that was one that would really stick with me. I remember a call, you know, we talk about, you know, officers and, and, and you talked about, you know, always do the right thing, even though we run these complexes uh, all the time. We had a complex in uh, Silver Spring, Summit Hills. We'd run uh, alarm bells there in the summertime eight, nine times a night. Um, you know, reset the bells, you know, the old bells, unscrew mm-hmm. it and click the switch and put it back. And then the kids would be behind us, pulling the alarms behind us. So, you know, we'd be on the scene 20, 30 minutes and we'd get it taken care of. But every single time we ran that full SCBA, uh, standpipe pack, all the tools, everything went in like it was on fire every single time. That's one of the things that I do remember. And I, I impart that on people. I was like, that building's on fire until we say it's not on fire. So I don't ever think that, you know, it's the 10th time we run there. Um, and I tell that story because ran a call. We used to have a uh, um, C&P, date myself again, uh, switching station in downtown Silver Spring. And we would run alarm bells there all the time because the equipment was gets warm and it trips the, uh, the, the, uh, the alarm, alarm system. So <clears throat> we run alarm bells there. And I turned to my officer. I remember playing his day as Mickey Raymond. He was, he was my uh, lieutenant. Just, a, just an, an older guy, just well-respected, good fireman. Um, and uh, I said, uh, I said, hey, Lou, you want me to grab the pack? And he said, nah, just SCBA gear. We'll go up and take a look. We run this building all the time. So we go up and we're looking. It says, uh, it's tripped up on the fifth floor. We get to the fifth floor in the stairwell. And I look out the stairwell door into the fifth floor switching area. And it looks like I'm looking at a white wall, you know, like right across. And I open it up and the smoke pours out. And I shut the door and I'm like, oh, shit, make the things off. And he looks at me and he says, let this be a lesson for you. Make sure you bring all your, your equipment with you. And the future didn't blame me. He was like, this is a lesson. We make sure we, we're going to bring all of our equipment from now on. He said, but hey, we got our gear. We got our SCBA. Let's go find out what's on fire. So, you know, we probably wouldn't do that nowadays. And it ended up being like a couple of cardboard boxes full of trash. It was on fire in the hallway. But um, that stuck with me. And from that day forward, I always bought the tools with me so so yeah that's good but that should have been a lesson for both of you it was it definitely was and I mean at the time he probably had like 20 some years on the job so but that stuck with me I was like a 19 year old kid so I was like all right, from here on out every single time I run a call you bring the radio you bring the aid bag if you're on the ambulance and your clipboard or if you're on the engine, you bring a standpipe pack. If you're on a high rise and your turnout gear and your SCBA, and if you're on the truck, you're bringing the rabbit tool and the irons and every single call all the time. And and uh, never forgot that. And yeah. To this day, I still do it. Never go in with it. Even as a battalion chief, if I get given a division or, or a group or whatever that I got to supervise, I always have. I carry a hook with me all the time. And a lot of the chiefs give me a hard time. They're like, oh, you want to be on a truck? We'll be on a truck. So I'd love to be on a truck. But I'm battalion chief now. But you'd also be a hypocrite telling people to be prepared. Yep. And and this is that's something you can use for self survival. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So so why would you why would you walk in there one armed or you know with one arm tied behind your back? Right. And one of the other things you picked I picked up on what you said was the radio. So many times EMS providers and I'm not an EMS person per se, but 
they, they go into these situations into these apartments without their radio because they're like ah we're just gonna it's a sick person mm-hmm. it's a person all the time and then they get in a situation where they can't call for help right so that's a very important part of the, the gear and what you had just showed me is that um, with, with the gear you have the track record of saying you know I never got caught with my pants down again I never you know would go so now you're asking that of your own people out of your own officers and firefighters and stuff and then you can't be called a hypocrite right because anything that I ask my guys to do I've personally done so they say, yeah, well, I, I've, I've seen Polikoff on Truck 99. He would always have his gear with him or he'd always, you know, have it all ready to go, so on and so forth, you know? And yeah. that's a very important leadership trait. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so any bad calls? Uh, people, you know, that, that aren't in the fire service, they go, oh, you're a firefighter. Oh, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? My standard answer is, is I don't want to relive it and you don't want to know. Yeah. You know, I've had bad calls. We've all had bad calls, especially when they involve kids. But I mean bad calls that didn't go as well as you wanted them to. Like, I uh, didn't get water in time. Somebody, drew, you know, ran past you from another department and put your fire out. Never. <laughs> Never, ever, ever would I ever let that happen. No. No. It's hard to say never always or, or so on. Sure. But, um. But yeah, there's there's been bad calls. There's been calls that affect your psyche mm-hmm. a little bit. There's, there's calls, you know, when I first turned 18 that I still can see to this day. Right. Um, there's things that you can't unsee. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I rather than tell the story, I'll just tell you that that, that happens and affects everybody different ways. Sure. Um, personally, I think sometimes people, people claim things. And who am I to say what they claim or something? But sometimes I'm like... Come on, like it really can't be that bad. I maybe I'm ignorant to some of that sometimes that's sure. going on, but but um but everybody handles things differently, right? And whether I think that I something that I saw 25 years ago affects me or not, I don't know. It right. may be, yeah. it may be. But um, calls I've been in mayday calls with firefighters. <clears throat> I've had one of my brothers um, that I was on the phone with moments before this box came out, I ended up finding him in a fire with another guy. Um, thought he was dead. And he ended up living after weeks and weeks of, uh, right. you know, time at a burn center, Washington, D.C. burn center. We love you. All the firefighters in the metropolitan area, they do a hell of a job. Absolutely. And they don't get enough credit. Um, they really take care of everybody. And they're very um, receptive to the brotherhood um, because we show up in forces. Once yeah. one of our brothers gets hurt with their sisters, Guard we're the there doors. deep. It really makes it hard for them to do their job, yet they totally... Totally understand us, so we're very thankful for them. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Firefighters getting injured. Um, I don't tell people, you know, have a safe shift or something. You know, I say, you know, have a good shift. Right. You know, injuries are part of the job, mm-hmm. but our job as command officers and leaders in the department are to make sure that 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 we put them in the best situation to succeed. Um, and I treat every house as if it, my own family members are in there. Sure. So that that profiling that people do mm-hmm. and, and that some people preach and so on and so forth. I, I say, look, this is my house. This is a report of my kids being in there. What am I going to do? And I take that on, and I expect my officers to take on that same mindset. Absolutely. I've had, uh, you know, I've, I've had, you know, bad calls and it's stuff that has stayed with me, you know, throughout my career. But I've, I've had bad calls where I, like, I forgot a tool or, or, or couldn't, you know, the pump couldn't get in gear or, you know, stuff like that where, you know, you, your guys didn't get the line up quick enough and, you know, somebody runs by you. And it, it is, you know, we, we, we preach that fire, firefighting is a team sport um, and it's competitive. 
you know, it is competitive. It's not as bad as it used to be. Um, and it's definitely not as bad as it was back in, you know, the 1800s in New York where you're fist fighting everybody. But there, it is competitive. You know, the last thing you want is to not do your job. And I tell people when I teach classes, I said, firefighting is the only job where somebody else doesn't mind doing your work. That's true. That's the only job. That's true. So, you know, I've had bad calls like that. Um, so so let, me, let, me, let me jump in here. So... About equipment and being prepared, that same captain that I that I still love and admire, mm-hmm. I was on this rescue unit, and I was on it with a rookie that was in my recruit class um, on the rescue unit as well, and I know he and I were one and one A for him to, to get the next spot into a right. firefighter slot at that station. Right. And my officer, my regular officer at the time, didn't drill with us, you know, as much as this captain did. This captain was, you know, he, he did everything, despite the call volume, despite, you know, all the ancillary stuff the department threw at us we still managed to drill we still managed to do you know perform really well on calls and stuff so he's like hey get your gear meet us in the in the truck bay we're gonna go over stuff get your gear on i go into my gear and this is about being prepared and i don't have my gloves now this is 10 30 in the morning so we had already done apparatus checks done our pt done all this stuff we're it's time to roll like and yeah i'm on a dedicated bls unit right mm-hmm. i can't find my gloves and i I know I just looked like I'd seen a ghost. I was like, oh my, I, I don't, this is my fault, you know? So many times we blame everybody else. I was like, this is totally on me. Right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they took them out. Maybe, maybe something <clears throat> happened like over the last couple of days. You know that the captain was getting ready to come down. I could not find another pair of gloves over in this whole firehouse. Mm. I went up to so many people's gear, just like, let me get through this, let me get by. I could not, for the life of me, find a pair of gloves. And the captain comes down. He's like, all right. So, of course, 1A, I'll call him, is standing right next to me. He's got all his gear on with his gloves, and I have no gloves on. He's like, where's your gloves? First thing he did was pick up on it. I was like, I don't have them. He was like, why don't you have them? I said, that's a good question. I said, I claim to have checked my gear, but I didn't, I guess. They're not there. So I got, like, one from one of the senior firefighters. So we did our ladders or whatever we were doing for that day, and it was just a pit in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Here I am, you know, I, I got this opportunity and now I just blew it. Right. Because I wasn't prepared. And now he thinks of me as this or, or that. And it just was not well. And I'm like, I, hey, 1A, uh, I'm going to have to go up and talk to the captain because the drill was over. He was doing some documentation or administrative work. I remember knocking on the door. Hey, Cap, can I have a word with you a second? Yeah. He said, yeah, come on in. And he, he, he knew. He mm-hmm. was good. He gave me the stare down and the stink <laughs> eye. And I was like, oh, boy. It wasn't making it easy, but I, I'm, I'm a grown man now. This is my job. It's my career. Right. I said, Captain, I want to apologize for not being prepared today. I let you down. I let down my partner. And I, more importantly, I said, I'm my harshest critic and I let myself down. I said, you can expect me not to ever, you know, be prepared again. And, um. I understand that, you know, if you look less of me now, but I promise you this is not the way my character, this is not how I'm wired. And he said, you know what, Rook? I said, I appreciate you coming up here and saying that to me. It's all good. Just make sure you have your stuff in the future. And, uh, you know, now let's get down there and do what we got to do. Right. No problem. And he remembers that to this day, and I right. remember it to this day. And, uh, it's, it's, you know... I I've read a bunch of books in the, in the military. You know, you talk, you listen to the military guys that are leaders in their leadership, and their biggest thing is is own your mistakes, own it. 
Um, don't look to like, oh my gosh, you know, this, I was rushing around and all this, or don't make excuses, own it. And, and you go in, you own it and say, hey, this is 100% on me. It'll never happen again. Uh, the only way that I can prove that to you is to never let it happen again. But this is my mistake. And when you own it, when you own your mistake, you will learn from it. And if you're an honest and sincere person, it will never happen again. And I think, I think an officer can pick up, a good officer can pick up on that. And, um, he was definitely top notch. Yeah, that's the thing. You got you got to own it, and that's what I tell people: is if you make a mistake, just tell us. It's it, I try to instill that on my kids, and I'm sure you do the same thing. I tell my kids: I say, if you did something wrong, just tell us. Yeah, you know, and we'll help you fix it. You know, we might be mad. We'll talk about that later, but just. Don't lie. There are consequences for mistakes. But but, I don't want to hear about, but they, or but he, but this guy, or this girl. And they do that in the fire service sometimes. Yep. You know? To this day, they do. They they try to put blame off. We'll we'll get into that here in a few minutes. So, um, engine truck or rescue? Hmm. Trucks. Absolutely. All day long. I like trucks. It's it's funny because when you go up north, you know, and I know a handful of guys that that I teach with, in New York, it's special service all the way. There's a couple of engine guys, you know, hardcore engine guys, but it's special service all the way. And then you come down here and it's like, engine, engine. And I'm like, eh, it's JV, you know, that's what you learn. You learn on that. And then you become a man and you move up to the special service. And then when you've got all that good and you want to sit back and freelance, then you get on a rescue squad. But uh, <laughs> for the most part, truck's where it's at. It always has been, always will be. So, yeah, yeah. so, so, so truck work to me is just, there's just so many different levels. There, there's, mean, a, there's a lot of things to know. And you're doing it without a hose line, but majority of the time. That's not to say that I've never had a hose line in my hand as on being on a truck. No, no, I, I get that. I, I get that. I've had but hose lines that... in my hand from being on a truck. I'm like, really? You have that first <laughs> phase though, where you're helping the initial line get in place. Sure. Searching the immediate fire area. Right. Um, getting access to the building itself. Right. So those are some variables, some obstacles you can have right off the get go. Right. And having to be a, having plan, uh, you know, you know, extra right. plan, plan B, plan C, plan D, so on and so forth. Um, so you get to that. You get to the place where you have to open up, right? You open it up walls. Up. Now everybody's out there high-fiving because they think the fire's out, right? It ain't out yet. Right, right. She's got work to do. Right, but there's some people out there like, whew, I'm going to take a breather, get some Gatorade. I was instilled in my crews. I was like, hey, we're going to outwork everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. This is this is how we're going to do this is This is this is how we operate. We're going to be hydrated beforehand. I'll give you breaks around the firehouse and stuff like that. But when we're called to, when our truck, truck we'll call it truck one, is called to this fire, there's going to be one, no rekindles, mm-hmm. and we are going to outwork everybody. And when other people are standing around, we're going to keep working, and we're going to ask them to step aside or something or excuse me, but but we will definitely outwork everybody. And I had a guy you know, text me or tagged me on Facebook on a post a couple days ago where he, he remembers when I was a lieutenant giving him that same message, and they had a fire that required a lot of opening up, a lot of knee walls, a lot of mm-hmm. storage in the attic space. And he's like, I remember a lieutenant telling me back in the why why we try to be the best, we're the best because we we do at work everybody we train when others aren't and and it certainly felt very rewarding today and this just happened less than a week ago sure I and mean, it feels really good to hear that kind of stuff man I tell people you know <clears throat> when, when you you can't start off on a truck you got to start off you know on your engine you got to cut your teeth on the engine learn how to pull lines learn how fire works you know have a good officer behind you. And then, uh, you know, you move to the truck company and it's, it's a lot of independent thinking, a lot of independent work. Uh, a lot of times you might split a crew 
and the senior firefighter and another firefighter might go off in one direction and the officer might go off another. If you've got like a five-man truck, you might have the driver by himself on a roof. You know, maybe a lot of people think that's a big no-no, but it happens. So you have to be able to think of what's going on. And if I do this now, what are the consequences? Am I communicating with what's going on? So even though I, I bust the balls on the engine guys, you know, call them JV and you move up to the varsity league when you're on the, rest, on the truck company, um, there is a lot of independent work. So yeah, truck's where it's at. I don't care what anybody says and what flack anybody wants to give me. It's truck work, period. <laughs> um, so... I know you said that uh, you'd had that fire where you had the uh, the floor in front of you and the cabin stopped you. Any other oh shit moments that you had? It's like holy crap, you know. Yeah, I had a fire one time where I was operating as the outside vent man on the truck, and um, it was a house going pretty good where the attic was on fire. And again, I was working by myself because the officer and the barman were on the inside. Mm-hmm. Man, fire was blowing out of the gable ends pretty good on both sides. And I remember having a ladder going up to the roof on the, the uh, delta side or the four side of the structure. And I remember just going up the roof because I'm like, I'm done. I got ladders everywhere. I got lights dropped in here. I got the utilities controlled. And I said, well, I might as well go to the roof, right? So I go up to the roof and I remember having like a, an axe. I don't remember if it was a pickhead or a flathead. I, I don't know. I had an axe with me or maybe a hook, one of the two. And I remember getting on the roof right next to the chimney and my foot, my boot falls through the roof. Mm-hmm. And there's fire below me. And nobody know, knew I was up there. And I remember holding on to the chimney like, all right, this sucks. And I'm like, what What the hell am I doing up here? You know, I'm not one of these people that say never, you know, go to roof. You know, that's under so much scrutiny across the nation. There's about, a time and a place for everything. Right. I agree. If it's warranted, let's go to the roof. Paint a good picture. Don't, don't be just a board company that has nothing better to do and then load 16 people up there to stand around and watch some. There's a place for vertical ventilation. But I was up there. Nobody knew I was there. And I almost fell through. You know, what was below me was an advanced fire in the attic and the the top floor of this fire. And it took one or two steps and it was like, oh my gosh, I'm in a, I'm in a bad situation here. I didn't talk about it when I went back. Right. I didn't, there wasn't a near miss, you know, know, thing you could fill out or anything like that. But I, it didn't sit well with me. I mean, I'm, I'm still like, I'm not, you know, I'm aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think of myself as being aggressive, mm-hmm. but I'm not like just reckless. Reckless, right? Exactly. There's a difference. And I, I felt like I was totally reckless there. I had no reason to go up there. It was vented through the gables, the, the blowing really good, and it was well advanced, and obviously couldn't support roof operations. So why was I up there? Sure. Now um, I remember <laughs> your oh shit moment, uh, and it was it's hilarious. I think about it now. Um, you and I had known each other for at least six and a half years, seven years now, and I'm watching the Weather Channel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm watching this because I remember the tornado that came through um, College Park um, and it killed those two girls. That was actually one of the uh, lead lead guys from Mifry. Um, and I was at work that day. I was at um, in working in Bethesda as a lieutenant. And I'm watching this program. This is probably like five months ago. And I'm like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, that that's Phil. <laughs> Tell my wife. She's like, who? I'm right. like, Phil Bird. So talk about that a little bit because you're the only person I know who's ever in a tornado. Sure. And um, and, and talked about it. Sure. I'll tell the story. So I, I was, my girlfriend had an apartment in Burtonsville. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I, we, part of becoming, you know, eligible for promotion 
where I work is that you had to become a paramedic. So I had to go to medic school. Um, at that time, it wasn't even for a promotion. It was in order to keep your job. So mm. we had signed some contract that said, you know, we'll become a medic within three or four years. It was or the old ERTs or whatever. I don't know what the, yeah. that department called it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> True that. Um, but anyway, so I'm leaving Burtsville and I'm like, man, the sky looks crazy today, right? My mm-hmm. wife's getting ready for work. She's a nurse at Children's in D.C. and I'm going to MedStar for this class. And um, the girlfriend is now your wife. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, make yeah. sure that we got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You weren't married. No, you're a senior. Senior. Whoa, he's a player. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, right. she became my wife. She right. still is my wife. So we're all good there, okay? Um, <laughs> so I remember I, I was going across um, oh, shoot. Adelphi Road. Mm-hmm. Adelphi Road runs between Prince George's County and Montgomery County, mm-hmm. right up the line there. And I'm going across Adelphi Road, and I get to University. Um, Boulevard and Adelphi Road, and I'm just like this. I'm as I'm driving, approaching the intersection. I'm like, this is the craziest thunderstorm I've ever driven in. Right now, mm-hmm. I'm in Prince George's County, and um, the lights are out and traffic stopped. And I remember looking to my right towards Montgomery County, like as I'm heading to DC. Montgomery is on my right, and I see a funnel cloud, and I'm like. What the heck? This is Maryland. Yeah. I'm not in Kansas, but you know what's funny is that I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to make a left. And I made a left and I started going out university towards Branchville, mm-hmm. right? So I'm right in the middle of College Park's complex. Sure. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to outrun this thing. And I remember I had a, a Ford uh, Bronco Eddie Bauer. It looked like OJ's right. truck, except it was green. Right. And I made a left on university. I'm like, I'm going to outrun it. I said, I don't know what else to do. So I'm in the far left lane heading outbound, and cars beside me are literally getting flipped over. And I'm like, I'm not going to make this. So there was a median up ahead. I remember putting in four-wheel drive and just driving into the median. And I remember cocking my seat all the way back going, as I'm, as I'm driving up to the median, I'm like, I cannot believe a tornado is going to kill me. I said, I'm in Maryland, and I'm going to die of a tornado. I said, I hope my friends find some humor in this. I remember thinking this, like, right. this is unbelievable. And I remember going in there, and I cocked my seat all the way back, and I remember covering my head, and the glass around my truck is just getting shattered. Everything but the windshield, one of those little T windows right. on the driver's side, was not broken. And I, it went past me, and it was like eerily quiet. And I was like, oh my God. I just, like, a tornado literally just went past my car. So I remember I had on my I had work pants on and a work t shirt because I was going to go into my fire department, you know, and then my work for overtime after this class. And I remember going up to a couple cars or flipped over people and I'm like, you guys okay? You're like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I looked over across university and there was down high power lines and there was what was, you know, um, what was left of a temporary building, like a trailer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny how the trail, you know, yeah, they found, found it, right? It, found the trailer. Yeah. Well, this is a university campus, um, University of Maryland campus. And um, I remember just sitting there like, and all like, I got to do something here. I'm wearing my... My, my work stuff I'm, I'm okay I'm like unscathed I was, my truck's destroyed but I, I remember jumping over these power lines and thinking this is September 24th mm-hmm. 2001 mm-hmm. right after 9-11 mm-hmm. and to me I mean I'm not trying to minimize what they went through but that was like it looked like New York City like just destroyed like right in that particular part so mm-hmm. I'm thinking about that that's fresh in everybody's mind Everybody's watching it in the news still this day, and now now we've had our own disaster. I remember jumping over these power lines, and then there was a lady standing on top of this 
old building and I'm like, is everybody out? And she's like, I can't find my boss. And I'm like, what? So I started looking around this debris and deep into this debris, I see a guy and he's like, get me out of here. So I remember tunneling down through the debris, getting to him and he had like some type of bar joist over his chest and neck area. He was breathing, but it was, it was pinching, you right. know? And he had a gash on his forehead, and I was just like, "Sir," I said. I said, "Obviously, you could tell." I didn't know. I didn't know it was a Mifri building, though. Right. Okay, because they were on a. I left that part out. I didn't know it was the University of Maryland Fire Rescue Institute building. Right. So these guys were all like firefighters and people that had, you know, experience firefighting. And we're getting this guy, and I'm like, "All right," I go. Um, we're going to get you out of here. And then when the crews from Montgomery and Prince George's and whatever other agencies right. started showing up, um. You know, I'm getting like airbags and getting things to get this guy freed up, and I'm just talking all the time. Back up a little bit. As I'm as I'm coming up on university, and I see the tornado, I call my soon-to-be wife, and I'm like, "A tornado is chasing me up University <laughs> Boulevard." I had a flip phone. I was right. like, I, I, "She said what?" She's got her hair dryer going in the background. She's right. like, "I'm gonna be late for work." I said, "I can't." I can't hear you right now. Right. I'm, like, I'm like, well, that's the last phone call I ever made. So, <laughs> forward. so I was like, gosh, well, that was great. But anyway, so I get down there. I ended up, you know, you know, helping orchestrate this with all the you know, trench rescue and technical rescue guys. And, and, and first of all, I ended up getting them out. Well, as I'm talking to the guy, I'm like, I said, is anybody else in here with you? He said, no. Hey, I go, I go, good. I go, I saw the other lady and she's okay. He goes, yeah, my daughter has just left here. And I was like, yeah. okay. I said, well, they're fine. I said, that's good. That's good because this is the worst thing right here. We're going to get you out. You're going to be fine. Fast forward, ends up his two daughters were in the car driving outbound. A tornado caught them and threw their car. Just just killed her. Those are the two fatalities. Killed them. Yeah. And it was like, it was totally crazy. I mean, I felt so bad because I told them that they're going to be fine. Didn't want him to go into shock and stuff. I didn't know what their status was, right. you know, and it's that still sits with me, you know. Yeah. I and mean, that was a that was a crazy call. But going back, I was like, this is surreal. Like, I, I'm going to be killed by a tornado. Right. I'm thinking about the Wizard of Oz minutes before my death. Like, like I'm thinking about that kind of stuff. You catch all this fire and pushing down dark hallways and all this stuff. Stuff books are made out of, and you die from a tornado yeah. <laughs> in Maryland. It was, it and was, I think this it was an F one or an F two. I have no idea. I don't remember what it was, but I remember I was at work when it happened because we were listening, yeah, to PG and and uh, you know where it came through, and and I remember specifically uh, the line that it took through College Park. It came in through Branchville over Cherry Hill Road through mm-hmm. the Home Depot across ninety five and into that open area, which is now where IKEA is. I mean, you could just see the, the path it just of destruction created a trench. Although it was in. A, fizzled out over in Beltsville somewhere. <laughs> so I didn't go to class that day. No, you did not go and to I class. And I called my lieutenant that I, the station I was scheduled to work overtime and I'm like, hey, lieutenant, I was just in that tornado. I'm a, I'm a young guy. I was like, lieutenant, I was just in that tornado at College Park. He's like, what? He's like, get the hell out of here. Hangs up the phone on me. I was like, all right. Well, some of, some of the chiefs within Prince George's County, Montgomery County saw me and were able to call my place of work and say, hey, Bird was there, you know, um, so they called my department and stuff and let them know right. that I was going to... I remember driving... Because I worked in an area that wasn't that safe. But I remember just sitting in broken glass, like on my truck, because it was still drivable. I mean, the windshield was shattered. Right. But I remember just like any vision, all the other windows were out of it. I remember just driving it and putting it in the bay at the firehouse until I could get it towed. 
and just sitting back like that happened so fast that just and it happened. was totally crazy right totally crazy mm. yep yeah I, I remember when I watched that whole thing I watched it and I was like that's Phil <laughs> um so let's talk a little bit about training. Um, we we mentioned that throughout throughout this whole thing, and, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll round this this whole conversation out with training and, and, and recruitment and some leadership stuff. Um, what classes did you take to prepare as you moved through your ranks? You're currently a battalion chief. Um, any good classes that are out there that you had taken that weren't part of? your organization like outside uh, agencies and things like that um yeah so so our department does have obviously professional development standards and benchmarks and certain classes and college classes you have to take so on and so forth and some of those were okay mm-hmm. um but the the best class that i took outside any pr- promotional requirement was through the iff um their program their iff fireground survival program mm-hmm. um i was fortunate enough to beta test this program with instructors all across North America, um, people from LA City, LA County, Phoenix Fire Department, um, Toronto, uh, New York City. So they came down to our department to beta class, uh, beta test this class, um, which incorporates a bunch of different skills. Because you know when we first started out, it was one thing you know to get over just calling a mayday, you know when you're in trouble. Um, but after that, it was just like save yourself, you know, like figure out something. Right. Uh, this this class um, incorporates a, a mnemonic, and, and some people may say that mnemonics are you know a dime a dozen in the fire service, but the, the the main mnemonic for this IFF Fireground Survival Program is grab lives, which means you know after your mayday you, you know you're looking at your gauge you know monitoring your air mm-hmm. you, you, you know you're you're using your radio you're activating your pass you're controlling your breathing. You're staying low. You're shining your flashlight. Another piece of equipment that you should have with you. At least two, because one won't work. V, volume. Mm-hmm. Polikoff gets made fun of because he's still a truck guy as a battalion chief, but that hand tool that he carries can be used to make noise. So people, if he's in a situation, he can pound on something or or feel around and make noise so they can, so you're making volume. That's the V. E, you're going to look for an exit once you call a mayday, whether it's on a hose line or finding windows or tracing load-bearing walls. And then... S is shield your airway. Be prepared if you run out of air, how you're going to shield your airway in the event you run out of air. Right. So this class really set well with me. I mean, it, it, it really inspired me and inspired many others across this country. They're still giving this class all the time. Um, and um, I ended up enjoying this program so much that I taught this to recruits in our training academy, so on and so forth. But then I became an IFF master instructor. Mm-hmm. So I teach this program as one of those people that did for us all across North America. Um, I've taught classes in Philadelphia. Um, I've taught classes uh, all, all over the place outside of um, Chicago, um, just all over North America. Um, it, it's been really, really rewarding. And uh, I remember uh, there was a firefighter, uh, Latorno or Lieutenant Latorno, that died in Philadelphia a couple uh, a year ago, mm-hmm. right? So his line of duty death report it should be. Then they don't do those, but I remember reading the circumstances about, right? You know, his, his death. But um, listening to the fireground radio, um, listening to the audio, putting myself as a chief officer in that situation, what would I do? And I, I do that with calls in our jurisdiction, outside of our jurisdiction, all over, you know, when they're met with adversity. How would I handle as a chief officer? So that's one of the biggest training tools. And how I do that with my officers as well is listening to other fireground audio, kind of saying, what would you sure. do? Well, anyway, the, uh, Lieutenant Latorno's death, I remember hearing the radio 
and this was just after I took the lead to teach in Philadelphia Fire Department, the fireground survival stuff, and you hear companies going out to training for fireground survival within that radio clip of when this guy gets, you know, killed in this fire. And it was just really crazy right. to hear hear about it. And uh, but but it is making a difference and it, it's the best class I've ever cool. taken. The um yeah, we one of the guys, one of the retired <clears throat> guys that works with us, that teaches with us, he constantly says that, that uh, you know your skills are perishable, and if you don't keep them fresh, you lose it. Um, and I think that's true, um, which is why I, I harp on my guys, uh, you know, pull lines, throw ladders. You know, we we sometimes get caught up in this um, the latest and greatest, and we got to do these complicated drills and all that stuff. And and I tell people, I'm like, that's good stuff to know, but that's like one percent. I said, but the ninety nine percent, we need to know cold. Our bread and butter skills are what we should be doing every day. We should be pulling lines, throwing ladders, search and rescue, putting your gear on, using your SCBA, getting your tools ready, just. Those kind of drills, because that's what we're called to service 90% of the time on shift, you know, that train derailment or whatever, that's a once in a career thing, um, you know, or whatever, you know, what that, that's, that's out there that you would not normally do, or it's just outside. It's good to have that information, but the stuff that we do every day, we need to make sure that we're good and, and, um, one of our one of my buddies told me something. He said that uh, he said don't train till you get it right. He said train till you can't get it wrong. Yeah. And you know I take that to heart. So you know we, we should every shift, whether you're a career volunteer, if you're doing a duty night, get some type of drill together. Even if you're just throwing ladders, you know, and 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 it's it becomes muscle memory. Uh, pulling lines, repacking your lines, you know, it's it's things like that that, that I think that uh, that we need to really focus on. And if you if you take if you take those line of duty death reports, the sequence of events leading up to whatever happens to these firefighters, a lot of it has to do with those very skills you just harped on. Mm-hmm. Some breakdown in that snowball effect, you know. It's little SCBA things and a bunch working. of little things. Yeah, SCBA was not familiar with that. Had um, <clears throat> you know two thousand psi remaining in their cylinder, yet they ripped their mask and their gloves off. Those type of things lead up to, to, to bad things, and yeah, it was definitely things you got to work on all the time. Right. Um, so let's talk about recruitment. I, I, I talked to some guys in my jurisdiction, and uh, <clears throat> we're hiring. You know, it, it it goes in cycles. When when you have a good economy, um, which which we have now, we have a decent economy, so we start hiring. And when we start hiring, um, we there's a lot of positions that are out there, and we're filling these positions, but do you think that we're doing a good job recruiting or do you think that we are just trying to get as many people as possible? And with that, do you think that our recruiting people uh, in the career and volunteer side, do you think we're telling them or are we doing them a disservice? I don't think we're telling them the good and the bad of the job. I think we're just focusing on the good and we're not really talking about the bad. And you go through recruit school and everything's good. You know, you're learning your skills and then you get to work and you realize there's a lot of bad or downside to the job and it's like a shock to, 
some, not all, but some people. Do you do you feel that? Do you see that? I won't touch on whether I think the recruitment's good or bad or right. so and so forth because I'm was, just saying in general. But, like, but yeah, like I, I think that they don't get the total picture. Right. To that's what I mean. And that's where you know experience really comes in. Like somebody that has experience, that, that, that that's a more marketable skill that you've done this before. As opposed to somebody that's fresh off the streets. Now, there's been people that are fresh off the streets that have been excellent firefighters, Absolutely. leaders, chiefs, so on and so forth, that, that never knew anything about the job. And that's what I mean by off the street. Uh, but I mean that, you know, I think that for the people that, that have had experience, that's definitely a lot easier path because it isn't going to be all, you know, when, when, when recruits get to recruit school, they're told every single thing is the most important thing that they're going to learn, whether it's knots, whether it's uh, administrative procedures, whether it's, you know, retirement planning, whether it's, I don't know, insert some skill that you learn in recruit school, right? Mm-hmm. Or something. Yet when there's something serious, life or death, like fireground survival or SCBA or air management, so on and so forth, they're being told the same thing. This is the most important thing. So they really can't filter that out without that experience. So we need to be able to say, look, yeah, this is a nice to know thing, right? This, whatever it is, something that's not as important as fireground survival or preparedness or, you know, hose line operations, you know, they got to find some balance in that. Mm-hmm. Um, recruiters, did you ever consider going to the military and go to a recruiting office? Mm-mm. They tell you anything you want to hear. Sure, just to oh, get you. I want to be a colonel, and I would like to do this and that. Well, you're going to go, and then you can go to college, and we're going to go to college. You go to college for free, and you'll move up. You'll become commissioned. You'll go. They'll tell you anything you want to hear. Right. They don't really tell you the bad. They don't say that you know. God bless our military, but they they don't say that you know. You, could you, we see you 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 rate or you test as a cook and not to minimize a cook but you you minimize or you you rate at this and this is what you're really going to be or mm-hmm. you'd like to do this but this is what you're really right. going to do right the fire service does something quite similar to that and uh, i don't know what the answer is as far as that um <clears throat> but i think that uh i think that this is a serious this is a career it's a career that makes a difference and for the most part we're, we're respected in our communities and and where we work you know, um, and we shouldn't take that kind of stuff for granted. And we should understand that there's the reason there's a level of respect for us is because we do deal with things that are bad. Yeah, I think you know? uh, between us and nurses, I think we're, we are the most respected profession out there. And you don't ever do, want to do anything to jeopardize that. I know, you know, I, I hear from officers, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, this guy didn't realize, you know, sometimes you have to work your birthday or you don't get your birthday off or, you know, <laughs> just because it's Christmas, you, you still have to come to work. Yeah. And it's like, it's the first time they're hearing that. And I'm like, well, what are we telling them? Or are we giving them the big picture? I think that when you go to the military, you know, I don't think there's an illusion that, you know, when you go to boot camp, somebody somewhere in the world is going to shoot a gun at you and try to kill you. And I think that they get that. I would hope they would because if they don't, then they've been living under a rock. Um, when we go to work, we run the risk of not coming home because we either get injured or we can get killed. But I hope that when we recruit, we we have awesome things with this job. It's a very fulfilling job. It's a hugely rewarding job. Um, you can get a lot out of it. You can go real far. The skills that you learn in the fire service, like the military, you can move on when you retire to go do other stuff. 
Um, but there's bad with the job too. We see the worst in humanity, um, just like the police. And uh, you know, it could. There's days where it's like you could lose faith in humanity just because of the things that you see. Um, and those things stick with you, like we talked about earlier. I, I hope that people have an understanding when they come to this job that it's not all you know roses and honey and, and all that. It's there's there's downsides. There's sides where you don't sleep at all. Um, there's there's many many moments or, or hours of boredom on top of you know 20 minutes of terror, um, and it just seems like we're we're kind of glossing over the the. The downsides, and I think people need to know. They need to be educated that that there are some downsides, and your body takes a toll. You know, we're we're five times or or whatever the number is now of risk of getting specific types of cancers than anybody else in, in that works an office job. Um, we see bad things. Uh, it takes a toll on our body. Heart disease is rampant. Cancer is rampant. Divorce is rampant. I mean, your relationships with with your significant others it's going to take a toll. Um, so people need to understand that. Yeah. And I think that going in, knowing everything, like anything, you know, you're not just going to go to look in the yellow pages. Oh, I need to get open heart surgery. Oh, I'm going to go to this guy. You're going to know all the parameters behind that. So I think it's it should be the same thing. Um, we're hiring good people and we're hiring not so good people. And I think that's where it is everywhere in the job. Um, what is, what's something that you would tell somebody that's listening to this right now that, that wants to be a firefighter or is considering it? What would you tell them you know, in order to have a good career? Um, I would tell them just to, to, you know, what role are you in now? Where are you now? And, and do it short term, you know, middle and uh, and long term goals. But I would sincerely tell them to attack each day with the energy and enthusiasm that's unknown to mankind. And if that's your goal, nothing's going to stop you. You you embrace the chance of being in a competitive environment where there's other people. You embrace the, 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 the opportunity to sit in front of an interview panel and sell yourself. And then you also embrace the fact that you get a chance to improve yourself to everybody, prove them right, to make a name for yourself in a good way and make a difference. You know, to be counted on by your brothers and sisters in a firehouse, to be respected by your peers and your supervisors in the department. And, um, you know, you can't just command that type of respect. You have to earn that type of respect. You have to earn that type of respect through your actions and your inactions. You know, how are you going to conduct yourself on social media? How are you going to conduct yourself um, in the public's eye? How are you going to conduct yourself, you know, while you're off duty? You know, and, and, and just, you know, I, it seems so far away when you don't have a job as a, as a career firefighter. It seems like I'm never going to get called up. You know, mm-hmm. um, but then you get into this process and you get the opportunity to, 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 to make it work and you'll get there. You'll get there if you if you honestly work at it and, and, and try your best and make sure that, that you make yourself the most marketable and potential employee, you'll get there. You know, and that also does apply to the volunteer fire service, right? Sure. You have people that there's there's incentives to become volunteers, so on and so forth. There's there's different programs and stuff. There's college stuff. Same thing as you know, recruiters or the the armed services and so on and so forth can get you to college and so on and so forth. But you know, why why would you go into anything half-assed? You know, attack it, man. Embrace it and be all in. Be into the job, not on the job. Mm-hmm. 100% every shift yep. or every day you go to the firehouse you got to be 100% and then uh, go home and, and de-stress and be with your family and then come back to work and, that's, you, give, and you give 100% and that's the hardest part for me is de-stressing because mm-hmm. I'm wound tight as it is um, 
And yes, my wife's a nurse. Yes, I've been married almost 20 years to her. And she's seen me at some of my lowest points when some of my brothers were near death. Right. Um, and I still felt like she didn't, you know, understand, you know, how I felt. You know, and that's something we have to work on. That's something I have to work on. But, you know, you firefighters that feel that way, you feel down about, you know, certain things and stuff. And everybody, like I said, everybody handles things differently. There are so many more resources available to you nowadays than what there were when we were coming up. And yeah, there's a stigma attached to, you know, asking for help still. There's still a stigma with maydays in some situations. We're calling for a mayday because you don't want to feel like you've let yourself down or your crew down or the embarrassment. But, you know, I think we've done a lot with maydays mm-hmm. and stuff and not really, you know, scrutinizing people. We may ask the why, how did you get in this situation? Right. But when it comes to calling a mayday, hey, good for you now let's learn from it Mm -hmm. you have to have thick skin you have to have you know shoulders and you have to be your harshest critic so those are all potential things you'll run into as a potential applicant or a candidate or a member of a volunteer corporation things you have to be ready to embrace and and understand and that's it's my my wife's a nurse as well and uh you know we've been married for almost 20 years a couple of kids and and the the thing is she she knows what i'm going through she's ridden on calls with me and and things like that that i I wouldn't dare complain about being tired or whatever because she's like really i just worked a 12-hour shift and didn't eat breakfast lunch dinner or pee Mm -hmm. (laughs) so (laughs) who do i have to complain about so we commiserate together and we laugh and and i think that's that's that home life you got to learn to be able to communicate with each other and and i think we both know when we've when we had a crappy day or you're pissed off about something and i feel that i can tell her you know yeah this pisses me off whatever and um i just don't like rehashing it sometimes because because yeah. it just it, sometimes it annoys me to the fact that it's just to the sure it's just it's so much that i'm like it's a work thing it's just but it all comes down know. to communications if i think if you tell your part your, your partner that if you tell them that you know what Work pissed me off. I don't really feel like talking about it. Just give me a couple of hours and I'll work through it or whatever. Let me watch some TV or something like that. Or and Yeah. She and, knows my first day off is usually pretty rocky. Right. <laughs> because, you know, it's just, you know, you're up all night. There's you're, a lot of stuff. stuff. And I don't need to sell it each time. Be like, yeah. I ran three calls every right. midnight and this or that. Or I saw. I don't do that with her. But, but, um, but yeah, through all that, through all the negative, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Not at all. And it's still, I still like getting up to go to work in the morning. I still look over at the alarm clock in the middle of the night, like, oh man, I still got three hours, so I got to go in, or till I can go in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still after twenty years in the service, you know, starting in ninety one, and yeah, it's still I wouldn't trade it. No, I, I sometimes still wake up uh, um, before my alarm clock goes off, and I'm like, damn it, but uh, you know. I, I still enjoy everybody's like well, when are you going to retire I'm like I'm still having a good time yeah uh, I still enjoy the job and, and um, you know I'm not I'm not ready you know so yeah so I I guess you think you know I get some sometimes I get upset with what you know my bosses put out or ask me to send along to the troops mm-hmm. and stuff you know but when, when when I get to work with my troops on a on a on a fire and see them do well because they've all bought in to this you know mentality how mm-hmm. we're going to work and conduct ourselves it all makes it worthwhile sure and, and we're going to we'll, we'll round this out now with uh, with uh, we talk a little bit about leadership and what defines a good leader and you brought up something a lot of people will cop out you know that the bosses may be pushing something down and it's like yeah I don't really bind it I don't agree with that and in a good organization as management you can just say I would always look at the, the the chief or whoever's pushing down. Tell me why. Tell me why this is important to you. And 
even at the end of the day, if I don't agree with it, I'll still carry your flag because you're my boss. But I'm not going to cop out and go, we got to do this because the chief wants us to. That's a sign of a poor leader. Um, you just say, hey, guys, this is what's come down. This is why we're doing this. Um, we're going to move forward with this. This is important, so let's make it happen. And, and it's coming from me. Even though it came from the boss, it's coming from me. Um, I think if you're consistent like that, that um, and you don't pawn it off, you know, something that you don't like, you know, by bitching down to the guys. No, and I get you. And I still fall into that trap from time to so time. Do I. Because so do sometimes I. I don't get the why. Right. And when it gets you know sent out to us, I understand which lane I'm in, meaning is this a lecture or a discussion. Right. And if I know it's a discussion, I'm going to bring up questions like that. It's a lot of times people sit on their hands and they're like, well, I don't want to rock the boat. Right. But, you know, short of that disrespect and, you know, a commanding officer or a superior officer, I'm going to make sure I understand the why. If it's that type of environment. Now, an emergency scene, the why isn't important. You should have already front-loaded that why. That why is definitely front-loaded. and But, but you know, you have some people that try to sell that. Hey, everybody out of the structure. Well, Chief, we got two more minutes in here. We should have it knocked out. I don't have time to, to right. listen to your sales pitch right now. Right. The answer is, you know, or this, we're doing this or that. Um, but, you know, if you get some administrative procedure and so on and so forth, and it sometimes is a tough pill to swallow because we don't like change, you know. Well, there's two things firefighters, <laughs> two things that firefighters don't like, the way things are and change. Yeah, yeah. and it, it gets tough to carry that flag sometimes. Um, and, and, and it's tougher, you know, when you're in a situation that, you know, your superiors don't want the feedback. Mm -hmm. If they don't give you an opportunity to give feedback on something or how to improve something, well, then what are you sending down to your organization? What type of message are you giving there? And that, that happens from time to time. It does. And that kind of, to me, if, if you know, you want to ask a question um, and they don't want to answer it, to me, they don't believe wholeheartedly what they're sending also. Um, and I would always ask, I said, would you mind if I ask why? Why Why are we doing this? Or what's, what's behind it? Um, because if I want to change something and I run it up the chain of command, they're going to ask me, well, why do you want to change that? Mm -hmm. And if I would have just said, well, because I want to, that's, that's not an answer, you know, give me all the facts. And I'm like, all right, I still don't, dis I don't fully embrace it, but I'm going to carry your flag and I'm, I'm going to bring it to the troops. And this is, we will do this because this is what you want. It's, that's kind of our quasi-military uh, hierarchy that, that we do. But the front, front loading the why on the, before the fire hits, there should never be a question. Like, Chief, why are we doing this? Now, if it's, you're given an unsafe order, that's totally different. Yeah. You know, where they can come back and say, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but, um, but I mean, you, wanna, you want something to happen right now. We don't, this, we're not having a discussion. You, some, somehow or another, you feel that we're having a discussion. We're not. I'm telling you this is what we're doing. Yeah, and the why, the why is important, though. So, so when, you do, when you do get sent different things or you run these calls and stuff, I, I do ask the officers and, and the driver operators, why did you position where you did? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you did anything wrong. I just want to know the why. Absolutely. And if you can't answer why, I mean, then that's another discussion. Right, mm -hmm. so so that they know that that's the way I operate and stuff. So I want to say, hey, you know, you did a great job taking your line to this position by this means, or getting your ladder truck, you know, turntable to this corner, you know, despite this and that, or taking time to negotiate all these different variables. How did you do it, and what was your thought process? And sometimes you learn something too. Mm -hmm. I mean, Absolutely. But you know, one of the examples I give my guys is the why is like you know, people pull up to a long high rise building. Picture um, Silver Spring area, all mm -hmm. those high rises, right? And you got a report of smoke on the fifth floor. Doesn't give a room number, doesn't give a wing, doesn't give anything like that. And they they 
they arbitrarily or they just position at this side of the building and start setting up the outriggers and stuff. Meanwhile, they haven't got a report from the fifth floor yet. Right. So how do you do that as a chief officer or command officer saying, um, you know, hey, I like you being proactive, seeing what your building will reach. But what if it's on the opposite side and you got people jumping off the floor, you know, or on the balcony there? Now you got to take up your you know, area and retract that. So you got to find the balance and that kind of stuff. So whereas I, I, if you see fire blowing out of the fifth floor on the alpha side, the alpha quadrant, mm-hmm. by all means, stick it. Right. You know. But if it's a big building where you can't cover that two sides of the building with your aerial and stuff, and you're putting your stuff down, you got to find a way to, to 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 feather that and say, hey, look, I appreciate you being. That's a lot better than just pulling up, hitting right. the brake, and not doing anything. Right. Why don't we wait till we get a location in the building, and then you know when we're done, when we're racking up. We'll, we'll put it in different spots and see sure. how it works like that. So that's one of the things of the why. And I think what makes a good leader is is being consistent. First of all, you get you get respect, and there are two different things. You get respect because of what you've done in the past, leading you to where you are now. Um, if you're a good fireman, you know that there, you can do no better compliment to a firefighter than to say like you're a good fireman. I don't give a shit how many medals you give me. That doesn't mean anything. It just means somebody was creatively writing something up. But to tell me to pat me on the back and my boss said, Man, you're a hell of a fireman. You're a good officer. That 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 carries more weight. You take that consistency throughout, you get the respect because you've been there, you've done that, you're consistent about it. Getting that to be a good leader, um, you are taking and asking questions. First of all, one of the things I tell people is I never walk in the room thinking I'm the smartest person in the room. Right. Never. It doesn't matter what color shirt or how many bugles I have. There's always somebody out there that knows more than you. And you need to understand that. Um, and to ask questions like, uh, hey, you know, you rolled up on the scene. You know, why did you position here? The very first time you have that hot wash where you start asking why, they're going to think, hey, why is he questioning me? But as you continue to move forward, people are going to be like, no, that's the way he conducts his hot wash. He genuinely wants to know why. And he can take that information and use that, you know, for lessons learned and things like that. Hey, why did you park here? Well, because this high rise is this big. We didn't know what floor it was on. My goal, my theory was I'm going to park here. And if we need to move the truck, then we'll move it down here. And then we set our outriggers up. Sure. Awesome. You know, and, and that's a lesson learned. Um, I think if you pre-front that, that whole, uh, I'm going to ask you why you did things uh, just to hear, see how your mind works. I think being consistent and and uh, asking questions and not looking for problems. I know so many chief officers out there the field that they've got to look for problems so they can solve it, so they can look better yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. And to me, you're never going to get the respect or, or be an effective leader. But to be able to rally the troops and say, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do, and, and people will be behind you 100% because they know you won't steer them wrong. I think that that makes a good leader, and it takes a while to get that, just like respect. It takes a while to, to become a good leader. And I tell you, leaders learn how to be good leaders. Respect is earned. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. How, how I had a tough transition going from a firefighter to a lieutenant, mm-hmm. physically doing things. Like, here, just give me that line. Let me show you what I mean. Um, or give me that hook. Mm-hmm. Let me show you what I mean by it needs to be cleared and we're not going you know like so I still I had a hard time balancing that kind of stuff right like, hey you're a lieutenant lieutenant stuff be able to use your words and outline expectations prior to and then you know critique or hot wash or whatever you want to call it do that afterwards and do it you know diplomatically you know what I mean mm-hmm. and, but you know if people are failing too you have to let them know that sure and I think that sometimes command officers walk on eggshells 
about wanting to be everybody's friend or worrying about feelings, stuff like that. I'm not going to bust you out in front of everybody unless it's like totally you're going to kill somebody. Hey, stop this. Like, other than that, I'm going to make sure I pull you aside and be like, look, I don't know. Let me hear what you were thinking on this because what I see is X, Y, and Z and tell me where I missed something or, or what. Hopefully that officer goes, you know what? I, I didn't do X, Y, and Z. I failed to do this or I tried to accomplish this and this is my thoughts and then it's all good. It may make sense to me then. But, you know, you're getting pieces, you know, you're getting, as a chief officer, you're arriving after the fact sometimes when people have already gotten there, got in position, been told something by a bystander, all things you can't paint a picture on the radio, you know, and right. say, hey, we had this problem, so we're doing this. Right. Sometimes you have to figure that out afterwards, and you got to find balance. But. I think, you know, being a command officer, being in that upper management, once you beyond captain, you move into battalion chief, it's okay to be nice and be friendly with the guys. But there is a balance to the point where you are friendly and approachable, but they respect you enough to not do some dumb shit in front of you, yeah. you know, and and um, know how long to stay at a station, and not the station that you're assigned to as a battalion chief, but when you go and do your rounds, you pop in, hey guys, what's going on, you know, talk to the captain, you know, talk to the guys, and, uh, you know, then, you know, stay 10, 15 minutes, and, and uh, if there's nothing pressing going on, say, like, all right, you move on to the next station. Uh, Frank Ritchie always said is, no, as a chief, you need to know how long to stay at, at a certain event, and then it's time to leave to give the guys time enough to talk about you after you leave. Yeah. <laughs> so, you don't want to overstay your welcome, but you also want to make sure that you are approachable so yeah I agree in a nutshell I mean we covered a lot of stuff it's probably one of the longest podcasts we've done um, I appreciate you being here um, it's really good to get that information from, from from other people who have walked the same shoes but in different arenas um, and 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 get to hear and, and uh, their views and their opinions on, on on the fire service and you you find like we talked about earlier it's it's the same all over but uh, again, Phil, I appreciate you being here. Thanks being, for having being me. Part of, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Um, so with that, uh, we'll wrap this up. Uh, look for uh, this will be up here in a few minutes. And then uh, we'll be doing I'll get into something next month. And uh, other than that, thanks. <laughs>